subscribing while awesome podcast radio hour. <laughs> oh God. Yo. Do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO. Mellow grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. All oh, this melts of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO. You only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. <laughs> Damn it, I screwed it up. Welcome to Driving While Awesome. My name is Warren. I'm Lane. Uh, I'm Art. And I'm Peter. And we have Peter Hobbick today with us. Uh, we're going to get into his story a little bit further on the Sunday show, but he is a freelance writer and journalist. Uh, he's mostly focused on Formula One in the U.S., but he's done a bunch of cool stuff, including uh, promoting the Senna documentary in the U.S., I remember, some stuff like that. So we'll go and talk about that later, but for now, we're going to focus on listener questions. Yeah. How are you, how are you doing, Peter? Well, hey, thank good, you very much. Good, good. Glad to be here. Um, so we have some questions to answer, and they uh, our fans can be very nerdy but uh i think you're gonna be okay this looks i'm just kind of scanning the questions and uh there's a lot of good ones a lot of good ones so he's good comedy uh, some some comedic no no it's like stuff that i would ask in fact the first question is auto kennel um will there ever be another great american driver i definitely think so yeah i think that's um do you have your eye on anyone in particular um i'm kind of looking at uh sort of the conditions to create the next great American driver. So I don't get too zeroed in on one like great hope. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely look for um, sort of more visibility of the sport in America and more relevance to Americans and American brands. I think that's a huge, uh, a huge part of the equation. Uh, right. Looking at a lot of the sort of commercial aspects that need to come together to create the, the opportunity and the relevance and I think, frankly, the desire. Um, I think, you know, you see a lot of Americans who will um, not leave this country because they have so many opportunities to race in any car or stock car um, and not not go to Europe. And sure. um, if, if you want, want to get real deep, you know, I can kind of tell you more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, <clears throat> to when you look at a grid, a Formula One grid, a lot of the people there have, have come up together. So they've kind of, mm. they've done karting together. They've done junior formulae. And w when they get to Formula One, they kind of know each other's driving style. So you're looking at coming from a mainly European centric, um, you know, series in Formula One, learning all of the tracks that where Formula One races, you know, beyond your karting years and then competing in Formula One. So, so it helps to have that that upbringing, right? Because you're going to be going back to those tracks. and Yeah, it's yeah. almost like you, you really need to sort of send a young uh, racer away, you know, yeah. to Italy. I did yeah, to right. start karting, you know, before they're 15. Over the UK, huh? Um, I think Italy is generally where you sort of cut your, your teeth as a, you sort of hone your craft, yeah. your race craft in karting. Um, I think UK is definitely a part of that as well. Um I've not gone to any races or karting races in Italy or the mm. UK, um, but just my read of the the landscape is that you you need to get over over there young. You need to learn your craft and kind of like Alex Rossi did, sort of move when you're you know about high school age. You you live over in Europe and then you come up with that sort of you sort of matriculate with yeah. with that group of racers and you kind of learn their moves and they learn your style. And so by the time you get into like a single seater. 
you know, you're thinning the herd. You're also getting more attention, more wins, more momentum. And by the time you get to F1, you know, people have raced against you before. So it basically takes like a 12 year old with tons of money and backing. I was going to say like and, Nike, yeah. Nike's uh, grandson, <laughs> like a prodigy or whatever, or, you know, so yeah, exactly. Like Nike's grandson, like that's his dream. We're going to put it all, everything we have into him. We're going to send him to Europe. And yeah, I think Santino Ferrucci kind of fits that mold mm-hmm. you know, to agree. I mean, wasn't that Takuma Sato's style? Like where actually, he's almost like a national driver or a lot of them are, a lot of the drivers are kind of national drivers. Like the countries support yeah. them and, yeah, Venezuela and pay, pay for them to have, yeah, for you sure. know, Brazilian is Brazilian is big and totally. Um, uh, Sato is actually kind of a little self-made though, but. Yeah, he's um, got a very interesting story. Yeah, and uh, you were just mentioning that he crashed a lot, though. Yeah, the the uh, the other Beyond the Grid uh, yeah. podcast earlier, and I think you know his story really was highlighted well there. I don't need to get into all that, but um, yeah, I mean if you're if you're an American and you want to race in Formula One, you definitely start young. You move to Europe, you get you get over there, you get um, your feet wet, and you you learn how to sort of coexist in a very kind of international sense. The thing with, um, you know, a lot of countries sort of sponsoring their driver, um, you know, in America, we have so many forms of what I just would call entertainment. So um, there's so many other things that are competing for sort of the dollars that go into U.S. entertainment. Yeah. And that includes Hollywood, sports, the big four, sports, college sports. Uh, video games, you know, all of that is, is kind of. Yeah. Here. We don't, we don't need a great F1 driver. Like, I mean, really, right? We're not dying like, for it. We're not dying for it. It's not like, Oh man, we, uh, you know, if America had that, we would be considered a, a great country or something, you know, like. It, I mean, I think you could kind of nail it on the head, right? I mean, we, we export all that to the rest yeah. of the world. So in, in a lot of ways, that's, yeah, it's not the same argument. Yeah. 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 But how about something like Scott Speed, the way he got that, that drive, you know? I mean, it could be a program like that, right? That's created by a big company over here or something like that, where like a competition type thing or something like yeah, that. Driver search that Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he, you know, he certainly, um, hung in there to the very end and, and got the seat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see, uh, Red Bull, you know, see the sport break in the United States. I and mean, yeah. that's a brand that would really, could come in and, and make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Basking Shark Media says, has the turbocharger ruined F1? And then he, he kind of updated his uh, question. He just said modern F1 along with the kinetic recovery hybrid, et cetera, et cetera. So are we losing something by having these cars more complex? Uh, I think viscerally, you know, it's quieter. And yeah. I think everyone agrees with that. Yeah. Um, so as far as the spectacle, um, I think Formula One lost something, you know, going to that in terms of the spectacle. In terms of the 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 manufacturer momentum in the sport, which is key to the, I think the the coexistence of, you know, the, the major manufacturers who are involved in taking current Formula One technology and then making that relevant to road cars, which in turn justifies their existence in the sport. Um, that that is. You know, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, right? You can't yeah. separate those two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the road relevance has been the argument to all of these major boards that yeah. have to justify the expenditure to, to compete. Right. Is there any big engine changes for next year? I know the, the car designs have changed a bit, but no, 2021 is the big year. Right? <clears throat> but there, there's no engine changes. 
projected for then either. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I haven't dug through all of the, <clears throat> the docs. Um, I think you can go to FIA's website and really dig deep. Um, that, the one interesting thing that I think really is going to be a change is that they're really going to enforce financial penalties in mm. a sporting sense. So if you overspend or you're caught <clears throat> violating the rules, I think it's Deloitte that kind of set out to create the rule structure around mm. its team expenses, um, you can be docked points in the championship. So that's going to be a big check and balance. It's like a salary cap in NFL sure. or whatever. Yeah. You know. sure. that's but cool. it's an outside uh, governing force, not the FIA. It's Deloitte, you said? Uh, they were brought in to kind of draft the rules. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. but at the FIA is the They're final the, say. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, from a spectator standpoint, I mean, yeah, definitely going there, as you said, the visceralness. I mean, like, the, the sound is what really is the biggest draw, because, like, you know, a Formula One race going to an event, I mean, you just got back from the uh, U.S. Grand or yeah, I guess, do we call it the U.S. Grand Prix? What, what do you call it? Yeah, USGP, yeah. USGP. Sure. So, uh, we'll talk about that on the Sunday show, but like part of the spectacle is the sound, right? And then like you only get so much, you, you get slivers of the race because you're walking around this massive complex and occasionally you get to a vantage point where you can see a few turns, but it's mostly the screens that are giving you the information you want to know, right? And then there's concerts, there's entertainment, there's a bunch of stuff that goes with it and you get to meet cool people and like networking all that. But, for me personally, the main draw to go to a Formula One race was the sound, you know, and like, and we still want to go. I mean, we've talked about it. We wanted to go to the SGP. It just didn't happen this year, but like, because of the spectacle, right? But like, the sound would be a much, much bigger incentive for me personally, like, because mm-hmm. it was so unique and so special, you know, that you can't get that anywhere else. You maybe MotoGP kind of, but <laughs> I will say that sometimes, although to counter that, <clears throat> it was so loud. Being at a, at a race where like you couldn't even have a conversation. Like, you know, it was, it's, cr- it was crazy loud. Like how loud those, those V10s were and stuff. Um, I remember being at Canada and just like we all had earplugs on and it's like you see so you're muffling all the sound that is coming out and then you can't like hang out with your friends and talk to them because it's so freaking loud. Mm. So to counter it is like, is, I mean, I, you know, I'm obviously it's a, I'm just arguing for argument's sake, like kind of, but, but yeah. it's, it is, I could see like, oh, maybe it would be kind of nice to have a little quieter cars and as being there and having just, you almost were, it took you out of the experience because you had to have your plugs and all this other stuff. I don't know. I agree. Um, I was in Melbourne in 2016. And yeah. They had a two seater with a V10 in the back. I think it was a V10 and that that ran at about eight in the morning for some laps ahead of the the day's activities, yeah. hmm. and I stayed a, a mile plus from the track. And yeah, you could just hear that thing throughout the entire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just something like it's it's arrived. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, which I do think is really cool, and it's cool to hear like three laps, but then you kind of like grow a little tired of it. You know what I'm saying? It depends where you are on the track. I think yeah, that's yeah. really important because, as you said, yeah, certain places it's unbearable. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually painful on right? the front straight yeah, or something. So you it's want to be like in, certain, in the right place. Yeah, but, uh, I remember being yeah. like more like the real cool thing to hear was like the Mercedes AMGs go by. Oh, the the, um, the pace the cars. Pace cars. Yeah. This is like '08 Canada, and uh, that was really cool. Yeah. And uh, um, but I do remember being at live at an F1 race like that. That one. We didn't even know who won at the end because you're, yeah. you're like, you, I don't know, it's weird, you know. You're yeah. like, oh, Cubico won. Oh, okay, cool. I have, I have a question actually that's kind of adjacent to this. Is, is it 
do you know, like from a, from a, a um, U.S. perspective, like what is the main kind of goal for for this to survive? Is it the is it the broadcast eyeballs? Is it the sitting people sitting at home watching this stuff because they're get, they're getting the advertisements, they're getting all that, and or is it the actual presence of people at the event itself? Do you know? Um, I think that's a combination. Um, I think you know you start with the at home audience, which is the much larger audience. Um, and formula one is, I mean, it's a cash furnace. I mean, you, you would be, um, you know, foolish to overlook the amount of money that's available to other sports and entertainment franchises around the world that come out of the United States. And, um, you know, I think part of the game that formula one plays to stay formula one is to, um, really consume those dollars and create, you know, and elevate the, the nature and the profile and experience of the brand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, there's many different sort of pronged approaches. I mean, they definitely want another race here. Um, and you know, Miami is, you know, teeters, but it seems seems to be, you know, leaning towards, towards go. Um, it doesn't seem that Las Vegas is very far behind that as a plan B. Oh, that, interesting. Okay. That, um, I think there is a question there about that. We actually pre-ran it with Rami last uh, week. Oh, yeah. Uh, down this Vegas strip. Yeah, hashtag the Rami show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Inside joke. Um, yeah, we, we, we <laughs> went was, to a... That was something else. We, yeah. oh, did, you, did you look it up? I listened it? To, yeah, I listened to about, I think about two-thirds of it. I, yeah. I was on a road, but yeah, he was uh, <clears throat> living the life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You should. You got to see the trailer. I mean, and hopefully the show itself. Uh, shortly, we can get you like a, a code to, to check it out because it's, it's intense. <laughs> It's fun, but uh, we got to ride with him through Vegas uh, from nice. our hotel to the premiere, and we got a sample of what his life is like. And uh, it's, uh, it's definitely full throttle, it's exhilarating all, all the time. F one F one pace car, yeah, yeah. That's what that was. He's been to a few sh- races, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Flat six shooter wants to know: Will there be a second F one race calendar event in the USA in the foreseeable future? Cheers. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think that's that's definitely on on right their, there on their list. Yeah, um, and then someone else is asking about New Jersey. Um, yeah, it says whatever happened to the New Jersey race? Any hope for a USA Street Circuit in the near future? Uh, do you know anything about New Jersey? Uh, I I knew a lot about New Jersey. I actually walked that track ah. uh, several times when they um, first announced it, and um, it was uh, it was going to be a logistical. Um, feet to pull that off mm. uh, because when you look at West New York and all of the roads that you know provide amazing views of the skyline of Manhattan without a doubt uh, they also are basically you know those are the streets people live on so when you look at yeah. putting a race together like that you have to think about all the contingencies not only to get everybody to the race and from the race um, and they were going to build several piers you know, so that people could come over from, from Manhattan, mm. uh, by boat. Um, they also had a huge train, um, uh, operation set up to drop people off, but it, it really, the, the people's <laughs> homes, I mean, if you had a, like a fire in one of those homes during a race or someone had a right. heart attack and needed an ambulance, I mean, you're looking at major logistics. Yeah. Those, those streets are not that wide. So you, you'd really need to plan for a lot of, yeah, okay. sounds like a nightmare. Dude, yeah. I, I cannot believe that Hanoi is on the calendar next year. <laughs> like I've I've been oh, all doing... over that place where they're doing it. It's it's what you're describing. Yeah. I mean, and 
I don't, I don't know. Wow. I mean, I, I guess it's, I'm sure they're revamping a lot of the infrastructure there and helping with that. The good news <laughs> is that for the most part, that area is not residential. Um, it's a lot of businesses and a lot of, you know, you know, restaurants and hotels and stuff like that. So, well, that, that's a know. big consideration as well. I mean, um, my street, race organizing experience is limited to the San Jose Grand Prix. Oh yeah. I cool. was there. Yeah. So that, and that was crazy. <laughs> that, that was a lot. Yeah. The, ramp, the ramps over the railroad tracks yeah. were insane. Yeah. That yeah. race was originally meant to take place outside the HP pavilion. Uh-huh. And then when they vetoed, I think the race vetoed all of the uh, ticketing concessions that SVSE wanted to take from that. SVSE said, well, you can have your race somewhere else. So that's when it wow. going over the, the railroad tracks. So yeah. the race went on and it was pretty rad. Chris Neifel did a great job putting that together. Um, and he, uh, and the whole team at the, at the San Jose Grand Prix, um, had to deal with a lot of that. Um, mm. you know, businesses getting closed down. Yeah. That drive through dry cleaner right there. Um, <laughs> right. That was you like, know, yeah, I always wonder how any, all that stuff works. I mean, yeah. do they compensate store, stores? And sure. That's where the magic happens. I mean, on a minor yeah. scale, like we, um, right where we do our cars and coffee on this lot across the street, there's a hotel right down the street and stuff. And they did a, a little, um, what was that? A triathlon and it, they basically closed down all the streets. And you're thinking like, what happens to these people in the hotel? They can't leave their hotel. You know, they can't. Well, and you think about that on a huge, that's, this is Santa Cruz in like the deserted end of town. You know, think about downtown, any major city USA. It's a real issue. I mean, that's, that's why you see, I, I believe that's why you see someone like, Steve Ross come in, um, the owner of the Dolphins, who can really be a, a front man for Formula One on the ground right there in Miami. Mm. So he can he can create a sort of dynamic um, a buffer zone, if you like, yeah. between the sport just coming in and saying, "Okay, we're going to race here." I didn't know the that businesses. Yeah, I hadn't the, heard. Yeah, all the, I huh. mean, not only businesses, but it's fire, police, sure. yeah. public safety. I mean, you've got public ton- officials. What, yeah. I mean, what part of life wouldn't that touch? You know, if that yeah. would happen. So. And then it, we're sitting here as motorsport fans, but not everyone is a fan of motorsport. So you're not, you're saying yeah. like we're going to impact your community with crazy loud, fast cars. Not as loud as they used to be, but still, like that's something else yeah, it's to not consider just the cars it's it's the build out yeah you've got track wall you've got yeah. fencing right yeah it's a whole weeks up to the event and oh and then all the people that are working it and just that influx Absolutely. yeah and then you've got people who just want to get to the store you know <laughs> people you know, you've got ada and you've got a ton of people that you've really got to interface with to recreate life as normal as possible in you know in between the sessions as well as the build out yeah, running of the event and then the loadout. You know, you've got tons of you know yeah. months of planning, right? You know, and, and execution. So Monaco is like the most well-oiled version of this, right? And I, I want to say that I remember reading that it's like it takes like a day and a half to set it up and about a day to break it down, wow. so to speak, because like it's, it's it's just there. It's right? all integrated. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, well, it, it starts, I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but it's like it starts. They start building it. I think a couple of months before. Oh, really? Like yeah. like like all the rigging and lighting and all. All that. Yeah, like, and, the, and the pit lane buildings are pretty pretty sophisticated. Now. Oh, really? Uh, I haven't been. I really want to see that. Yeah, that's just. I mean, it's a real postage stamp size place. I mean, where do people go to like party? I mean, other than yachts and all that, but is there like a square that they have it's like all a casinos, fan and zone? Yeah. I, I mean, I've been to Monaco. Yeah, I just haven't been to the race. The so. I mean, the, the, you know, they yeah. track you know it turns into a big party, as right? Well. Um, so they have a. Um, 
practice day on Thursday and then Friday they don't they don't run any um, uh, sessions for for F one and then uh, Saturday and Sunday you know they have the qualifying and the race so um, it's kind of a four day event really and Friday's um, Friday's a fun day yeah for... yeah mainly um, but yeah the I would say the the way that the town of Monaco the the principality and his serene highness and mm-hmm. formula one have been able to work together. I think Monaco, you know, sees the benefit of attracting that, that audience there yeah. um, for that time of year. And they also, um, you know, have been able to, like, like you said, just really sort of smooth the, right. And so you're talking about like, like infrastructure is being built out, but it's not intrusive at that point, right? It's not like you're blocking off like full roads and all that, right? Like I've, I've seen like a sequence of photos that like I, I have to find it, but it's like, here's your front straight like on a Wednesday and here it is on Saturday and here it is like a following Wednesday. It's pretty wild. Hmm. Well, they don't, I mean, that stuff isn't like airdropped in. I mean, it's definitely for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, those are all trucks that, that use those roads. So, um, I think they have, I, and I don't know exactly all the details, how they build out that, that race. I know it starts months before, takes several weeks, if not months to, to tear down, month and a half to tear down. But, um, yeah, it's just pulling all of those pieces apart and then, you know, stacking them and then shipping them out of there. Yeah. And then, you know, just doing the opposite. I'm just picturing in. like, I, I, I can't picture any of the transporters go. Like, yeah, exactly. So they're, they're probably in a different, yeah. they're probably and in you have to trains. imagine dropping anything off causes them a cluster F in that town, you know, like yeah. it, it's all the small streets and everything. Like just having one, one truck come in to drop off some Red Bulls is a big deal, right? Let alone all this. It's cool though. I mean, it's kind of the model of how a town can embrace a race and make it work. For sure. Um, yeah. Like Singapore too, right? Yeah. And it's not just the stuff you see, you know, it's also, you think about all the corner workers that come in. Um, if you've ever, you know, the one race I went to in Monaco was in 05 and, I saved every penny I had and went because it was the last year of the V10s. I had to, I had to go see that mm. in the tiniest place. So, um, I took the train in, stayed with a friend's aunt, um, in, uh, in Cannes and there were doctors, people like with full gear, you know, medical gear. And then it was all customized for the Grand Prix. And you, you had sort of generations of, of families you could tell who were involved in some aspect of trade that either worked directly with the race or, or, or were services in support of the race. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Monaco's not a big place. It's not hard to find someone who's got something to do with the, the Grand Prix. I For imagine. sure, yeah. Um, even well outside, they, they draw from the entire community who come in and work the corners, yeah. medical staff who are there. And it's a very well, well-staffed race. Yeah, definitely. Definitely on the list. Uh, Big Fat Flip says, about done with Adrian Newey's How to Build a Car and now have renewed fascination with F1. What are your thoughts on the coming 2021 rule changes, particularly the design of the cars? I think it's where F1 needs to go. Um, Great book, by the way. Maybe Uh, you could recap a little bit what the new changes are because I don't actually know all of them for sure. I've seen, I've seen pictures of like the new, you know, body, but. So they're doing 18 inch wheels. Okay. And and they're minimized, like. Is it BF Goodrich's? Yeah. White letters out. Yeah. White letters out. Radial TAs. Uh, yeah. And you can do like KO2s if you want. Yeah. And And the wheels are. Hawk HPSs? The wheels are only because Michelin wants to push, like they don't sell. Like thirteen inch wheels, you know, so <laughs> tires. So, so they're trying to like basically have a tire that's more relatable to the general public. Is that true? Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, they, uh, it's sort of about relevance. Uh, yeah. They're standardizing a lot of uh, equipment, and the FIA itself will design some parts of uh, of the cars um, that will standardize, so there, there won't be a development costs associated with that. Um, the ECUs are already standardized. Um, the design envelope is definitely narrower. Barge boards are gone. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they're, they're trying to basically, I wouldn't say they're trying to dumb down the sport. I think they're really trying to um, really level, save the sport from itself. Level yeah. the playing yeah. field, yeah. yeah. More of like closer to a spec series, I guess, in a way, right? Like in that sense, like where it's like you have, because I mean, you can, like something as simple, I saw like the hub design, like where the attachment points mm-hmm. are. Like they're trying to normalize that so that everybody uses the same design so that it, because there's so much leeway there, right? So currently we're... Yeah, and they want to. I think they want to. Um, you know, the, I think you're going to definitely going to see some shrinkage of the team sizes. I mean, and I think uh, the era of the mm. 1500 person team wow, is, really? is going to. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah. Well, they won't have the money. Mercedes is yeah. about that size. That's kind of gnarly. Though, the right? smallest teams like Haas or what, like 400 or something like that, or yeah, much smaller, much smaller. Yeah, yeah I think Haas is or 300 or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, but I mean, the biggest change, right, is like they're moving the arrow kind of underneath so it creates less cleaner air so you can follow close behind a car and it creates more like wheel-to-wheel racing essentially so you can follow close behind a car without it ruining your air and slowing you down and all that making you overheat i mean there's there's no shortage of amazing people and amazing stories in formula one um i think they really want to focus on that showing up on the track um so not it's not about the heroics that happen in the development or the execution of new technology that you know teams may not want to share with other teams. Um, it's more in: do we see more overtaking? Uh, do we see a healthier size field? Are the, is it is the sport attractive to new entrants? Things like that that are kind of back down to basics. I have no doubt that Formula One will find a way to exploit every opening and loophole to um, to probably increase. You know, the need for or justify more personnel or costs. Um, you know, the other big thing is, you know, they want to up the race count to a 25, uh, 25 race calendar. Dang. I can tell you, I that went is... to Montreal in June and then I went to Austin this month. And I could tell you, everyone that I talked to that I saw in Montreal had about 50% of the energy and about 25% of the patience. Like it was really tough. Even at this uh, cadence, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it just, you know, it's the end of the season and, um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a real hard, um, slog for, for these yeah. teams, their families, especially just yeah. the support that they get outside of racing totally. is so vital to just staying fresh. Yeah. And you're going to be half, half of the year you're yeah. going to be at races and it's Every like other, all week, you know, and all weekend, weekend, and that's crazy. Just logistically. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, I oh, know, yeah, I know. From a spectator a, standpoint, it's like, yeah. like we were talking, a, we're like sad that it's like, it's like almost the end of the season. It's like, damn, then there's Yeah, you have this like, big off you know, season. I was, like, you get, <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the onboard group. So he works with Formula One, and he's been in the sport since the late 80s. And he's been married, I think, about 25, 30 years. And his wife came to him one day and said she calculated that they haven't been together for about 
six years of their marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. You know, that's, that's, you know, you just add up the days. That and then she, the she used to peace out. <laughs> walked not out at all. No. Not at all. Uh, she was like, this is great. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, I guess they, can you do the 24 hour races a year? I've heard instead? of these celebrities yeah. having separate houses, but this is a whole uh, other thing. Very happily married guy and separate lives. And super, super, super person. Um, I'm actually doing a, a little write up about him. I can tell you guys when I'm done with it. But, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, really a whole other side of but the, the But they are saying up to 25, right? So it's not like all of a sudden in 2021 they're going to have 20, 25 races. It's like they're just opening up that window to have more eventually, races, essentially. Yeah. Could have it. That's or crazy. could have it, basically. Yeah, and you're really, I think what you're seeing is you have a lot of stakeholders here, right? You have the teams, you have the engine manufacturers, you have the FIA, you have Formula One. You have the health of the sport overall, you know, as sort of a, a general indicator of how well those are all working together. And I think, you know, those stakeholders know that they need to really claim their ground early and, you know, say this is where we're headed and um, expecting fully pushback on, on other areas. Yeah. So, you know, there's, uh, but there's also, you know, a whole set of technical regulations, a whole set of financial regulations and supporting regulations that they're all, you know, all this stuff is really, yeah, yeah. you know, in flux. So yeah. I, I would I would think it would take some number of seasons to get to 25 races. Yeah. And I think the goal being 25 has to be, um, that has to be worked out with the implementation of, mm-hmm. of these and the smooth implementation, I would say. It, it does sound like a lot, but then you talk about like baseball or something, it's 162 games a year. And those guys are just like one game, you know, like, they're game after game after game, you know, like but, I mean, all those sports are talking about, uh, reducing the I schedule. Mean, yeah. Yeah. But the, I'm just saying it is 162. I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're that's not, true. Not I not mean, but for the most part, they're in Europe and United States is pretty big, um, to get, you know, from New York to California, you know, we're talking six hour flight, right? So, um, the first, you know, beginning of the season is all in kind of that realm, essentially. I mean, it does start off in Australia, I guess, but. I guess if um, you had to build a ballpark every time you play a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be more like. Just, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that's the thing is you're right. I mean, you're talking more like from infrastructure and operational, right? Like, oh, yeah. that's a massive endeavor. Like, there's, you know, there's a, a certain amount of like kind of figures that you look at on, from, on the field, but in reality, there's so much that goes into every. Yeah, it's the circus, right? They but in that, you're just looking at that Formula One itself would just hire a big more people, or they would have split staffs. That you know, it like that's logistical, and it's not un, it's not unmanageable. You know, they could have you would have a, a West, you know, have a team out here, or you know, a certain regions and stuff like that, or or every other race kind of thing, and. You know, quality control is part of what Formula One does, you know, with the sport. And I think having a certain continuity of staff and um, and kind of the, the practical knowledge of, you know, what is happening race by race and things change. Um, everything changes from, from race to race. But, you know, um, you do need a, a continuity of staff that, that maintains um, connection from event to event. Um, and, you know, I think the, form- the Formula One circus is – um, you know, it is, it's a very interconnected, uh, place. I mean, there's, there's something that, um, and I, I think is very special about the place. Um, you know, not having done more than, I'd say, I don't know, over a dozen races, um, in the paddock, I can say, 
it's it's a very connected place. And when someone's missing, um, you know, the person who's replaced them is someone who is well qualified to to fulfill that role. Um, a lot of institutional knowledge as well. Um, you know, just people who are familiar with um, not only certain venues but certain teams or certain attitudes and you know creating the spectacle sometimes comes down to making controversial decisions and you do need that sort of continuity of um uh sort of institutional knowledge and i think and and just knowledge of the sport to to make a fair ruling or to um you know to make a good call um you know the teams are are big on long-term relationships um you know when they first came to austin uh you know teams were looking for for vendors that they could work with from caterers to uh, suppliers of dry ice to you name it um, to, to create, you know, you know, the event that, that would become the USGP. And, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things they really look for is that kind of ability, like, have you been around a long time? You know, we're going to be coming back. We would like to have this, you know, kind of relationship kind of go on. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't think Formula One does too much sort of, half-hearted but they yeah they do face challenges wherever they go same stuff we deal with with uh, putting on radwoods i bet <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly, right, right? You've, yeah you've got like you know a venue then you've got to like kind of know the local sheriff that yeah exactly you have, to have that phone number handy and then mm-hmm. you know you've got all the things that you need to produce the event yep. tents or djs and da, da, da. Offtherecord.com. Fight those tickets. If you don't win, you don't pay. All you have to do is download the app, snap a photo of your ticket, answer a few questions, get matched to an experienced lawyer, and you won't pay for the ticket. Enter code AWESOME to get a nice discount. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Cahill on Cars says, if you were in charge, Peter, of F1... What would you, what would you do to get that magic back? That magic that everyone watched in the eighties talks about. Well, I think that they have the right people in place now. I mean, I would never <laughs> think I would know more or be able to do a better job. Than I just say, if you thought you could do a better job, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I would always push for um, putting the fan first, and um, I would say that the USGP, wherever it exists. East, West, um, you would definitely need, I, I think there's a strong, um, incentive to, to create as positive and engaging a fan experience as possible. So interactions with drivers, interactions with teams, um, interactions with personalities in the sport. Um, there's a real gold mine of opportunity that I think is kind of under, uh, served, um, you know, by, or rather under-engaged by, um, race by race. And, uh, um, it, it is definitely, you know, my opinion that something like Sonoma Speed Festival, you know, that Art and I took part in, that was something that absolutely was a huge, um, opportunity to engage fans in a, in a real meaningful way. Yeah. Get, getting them up close to the cars. Yeah. The personalities. Now the problem with the Grand Prix weekend is that, you know, they're there to compete. They're, they're there to win. Sure. And so 
anything that takes away from that is not helping the car go faster or increase yeah. the team's likelihood to win. Yeah, they just did that that little fan fest thing in L.A. Mm-hmm. That's great. Kind of you know, kind of cool. Yeah, to, that was cool to just bring cars out and stuff. And then, I mean, I think I think social media has done a lot for like bringing their personalities to life. Um, also, should like that Netflix documentary. Yeah, that was, was like, massive. I mean, that was that's, like that's what reason. got me back into it. Yeah, you're not alone. Yeah. So, and I think tons of people, tons of people were, you know, talking about it, and yeah. we were talking about it here. And then I've had like I've had a, a dozen people reach out to me and say, "Dude, you're that thing is amazing." Like I, you know, I can't wait to follow it now. Um, and I think it, I don't know. I, I I'm one of those people though. I think. I mean, tell me if, what you think, but like. It's like I started watching Formula One in like 1990 and, you know, it was cool and memories of it are cool and, um, every, you know, it was neat, you know, Senna and Schumacher and all that stuff. But I don't think it's lost a lot. I don't, I, I mean, I think people look back at everything, you know, with rose colored glasses and that's just the way light, you know, oh man, the sixties, you know, our parents would say, oh, the sixties, they were so great or fifties, you know, and then we're talking right now, we're celebrating with Radwood, we're celebrating the eighties and nineties, right? Like it was some amazing time, but I, I don't know. I think in reality, it's like there's good racing right now happening and you watch those midfield battles, they're, they're freaking awesome. And I don't, I mean, I remember being in Hungary and Belgium for those GPs when I was 12 years old, you know, watching Mansell take the title. And it was like, you knew Mansell was going to win every race. Like it was not. And and that's the same thing you complain about today. Right. People are like, Oh, let me guess Hamilton won. And then you, you know, 10 years ago, you could say, Oh, let me guess Schumacher won. You know, before that I was like, Oh, let me guess Mansell won. Or, you know, let me guess Senna won for three years or whatever it was. It's, mm-hmm. it's always that story, you know, it's not, yeah. when was it ever different than that? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't see that kind of, I agree, dude. I think right now, like, I mean, we are kind of in a golden age, especially we're about to get into it with such great talent. I mean, we have so many good drivers that are getting like killer seats. And they're so young and energetic. Yeah, it's and... so great. Yeah. And, and the only thing, and you know, everybody harps on it and it's a fucking, the, the worst, you know, a dead horse or beating a dead horse or thing, the sound, whatever. But like, I've talked about it, like from a, a whole spectacle, from a fan standpoint, like that is one component, but like everything else is, is phenomenal. I think I agree with you. Like I was thinking, I, I think I can say this, like, you know, Scott Pruitt was on our podcast, you know, a while back and we did this thing with him at Alexis uh, performance driving school. And he was saying how he was, you know, up and coming and he was doing really well. And he tried, his goal was formula one initially, but then he saw how like, he didn't like the, 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 what you're describing is really kind of that that was lacking. It was the lack of kind of uh fan engagement and integration. It was like, it was, it was, you have like the super elite who got access and like, that was it. And then, here, you know, you go to a race and you can walk right up to any NASCAR driver. You can go to, you know, a local, uh, you know, an IMSA race or whatever it may be. And everybody's accessible. And like, that makes it way more interesting for people to go to. Right. And like, shit, if I could go hang out with, you know, with any of these guys or if any of us could go like 
forget the sound. Like it would be so rad to like hang out with these people. Like as a matter of fact, like Sonoma Speed Festival, adding I know you were involved, adding that element of the Mercedes Formula One team was really big for us. Like we were so stoked to interact with those guys and like the fact that they came and hang out hung out in our spot and we ended up like becoming like kind of like acquaintances now and we have relationships and we talk to them about UK. They came out to our UK event. Like that is so cool to us, you know, to be able to engage with those people is a big deal, you know? And like, if you open that up and you give the fans that access, I think that it would make a really big difference. I mean, there, it's just giving them that, uh, what's that, that real, I guess closeness or whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, and not necessarily relatability, but, um, I think that's a big thing. There sure. is a relati- relatability too, because you now are like, you see these people, you know, they're all on Instagram or whatever, and you see that all of them are normal kids. <laughs> I mean, really, most of them are kids, right? Like, they're all super, they're just like normal dudes having fun, playing with each other, messing with each other, all that stuff. I don't feel like we saw as much of that back then. It was like, you get Racer Magazine or something when it first came out, and, and but it was all about the racing. And then you would see an interview or something on television, or you read an interview, but it's all very, it's not the stuff where it's not Ricardo slapping Carlos Sainz in the balls or something like that. You know, you don't want, and I mean, you do want it. You want (laughs) want that. You want that relatability. Like, yeah, you do actually. You want those, you want to see those like human, I moments. You, you, you mentioned wanna, that story so many times. Now. That's I know. I know. That's the highlight of the whole it's season. It's the one that stands out from like the behind the scenes, behind the scenes stuff. But mm. or it's like all the guys playing FIFA together or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I don't it's know. relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jay Palau thirteen says, "Who's the best driver in the midfield, and would they be number one in a top tier car?" Who is the best driver in the midfield? Um, hmm. I always wonder this too. Yeah. The guys in the shittiest cars, could they, if they were given Lewis's car for, a, you know, if it was tailored to him, of course, for, hmm. for qualifying, how would he do? I mean, I would love to see what Hulkenberg could do in, hmm. a, in a really serious car. Yeah. I think he's, you know, I don't think he's gotten the opportunities that others have gotten. I think he's gotten, um, you know, essentially sort of maneuvered out of a seat for next season, as far as everyone can tell. Um, and, uh, I, I would, I would be really, I would really like to see what he could bring, not only his skill, but also his experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, very, very determined racer. Very. Um, it's funny. Uh, it's so, so hard to compare drivers. I mean, it's like apples and oranges, um, and one of the, one of the best conversations I've had in the paddock happened in Mexico city a few years ago, met the, the paddock doctor, uh, doctor by the name of Ricardo Ciccarelli runs a f- outfit called formula medicine in Italy. Mm-hmm. And he's in the unique position where he actually sees a lot of these guys who end up in formula one long before the teams have sort of picked them out or, you know, eyeballed them real closely. Mm-hmm. And he has a whole sort of physical training and mental training program academy that he, he basically works with. And I, I kind of asked him a similar question. I said, you know, in your opinion, who, you know, he had, had the standardized test and it was all very, so it was like the SAT of motorsports. Sure. He had developed this whole thing. He was actually, his history goes back to the, to the eighties when he was the first person to put 
a heart rate monitor in a car during a Grand Prix, hmm. and he was able to measure the, how how fast the driver's heart rate goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's he's very very interested in 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 racing and medicine and and the combination of sort of peak human performance is really the hmm. integration that he's really interested in. So he looks at a very holistic picture of a driver um, psychologically, physically, mentally, and, and emotionally. And I asked him, so you've, you've had this opportunity to see all of these drivers come up, you know, who stands out, you know, for you. And he didn't even hesitate. He was like Robert Kubica. Was like, huh. Really? Yeah. And he says, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that guy, he could throw anything at him in a simulator and this guy could carry on a conversation about the weather. I mean, uh, it was really that ability to manage everything in front of your, on your plate, you know, and then, and then where's that extra 10, 20% of mental capacity hmm. to, to have a conversation with your engineer, yeah. you know, yeah, while to, you're driving. To filter all the inputs coming yeah. in and yeah. give good yeah, yeah, feedback. So, yeah. I, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways I, I would really like to see him get that chance, you know, yeah. just cause I've, I've just heard this, you know, amazing kind of insight. But he had that chance and he was really good. Yep. I mean, I mean, he was, yeah. you know, really good. Yeah. So, I mean, he, uh, he was, you know, oh, oh, eight, he oh, nine, oh rally, yeah, still, yeah. And yeah. he was, you know, rally driving and everything. I, I heard flashes of it. Yeah. I would like, I would have liked to have seen that continue. Yeah. yeah. Cause he was with what, BMW, rally. right? It was, yeah. I heard yeah. that, uh, Haas might be courting him. I don't know. If yeah. That's yeah. the rumor is right now yeah. for a, uh, test driver. Right. I just, I would love to see him, you know, stay involved in the sport. I mean, it, it's just funny though, because like, I, especially like listening to all these different podcasts and you get to hear their stories. Like, um, he's like such a pragmatic guy. Like, mm. you know, like you, some guys, there's so much passion and like, there's all this, you know, it's the driving and the, and the, the I'm a fa- I come from this family and like, you know, the experience of the cars and the whole thing. And he's just like, I was put in a go-kart because I was good. My dad just wanted me to be the best. I just wanted to go as fast as I could. Like, that's kind of it. Like that, that's like, I mean, that is really what he's doing. Yeah. And it's just like, um, I think he was on, it might've been, was it Nico Rosberg's podcast? I can't remember. I think he was on beyond the grid. Oh, was he on beyond the grid? Yeah. And it was just like, all right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. You know, Hmm. like, I mean, it's kind of like a kid who's a, has a very passionate dad, wants him to be the best football player and just supports him and makes that happen. Right. But you're saying Hulkenberg is your kind of uh, dark horse. I would just, yeah. I mean, I would really like to see him, you know, get that opportunity. Um, and he might be out of F1 forever, right? It's hard to say. I mean, mm. you know, a guy with that much time behind the wheel um, of an F1 car, you know, has the potential to move into a lot of development roles, which then might work their way into a full-time drive. Um, it's the driver market is, you know, very, very complex. Mm. And, uh, Seems like a lot of a politics lot. more than anything, right? It's yeah, like, and there's a, just a lot of... Sports uh, getting young, too. Well, that kind of how I mentioned earlier, sort of a lot of... Sort of um, the paddock is, I would say, very kind of interconnected. I'd say there's also, you know, very a lot of interdependencies, and some of those interdependencies may be exclusive of others. So when you find a driver who signed their contract may limit or may preclude or may may set a bar so high that um, an offer may not be able to get over that bar to to pull that driver and put them in their seat. So, you know, it's a, a dollars and cents issue. It's Isn't that Holkenberg's thing? He doesn't bring any money and he wants a lot? I, I don't mean, know what his... I, I'm not up to date on what yeah, his latest... That's what I've heard. I mean, um, hmm. contract situation is. He... Um, 
you know, he comes with, with serious backer, um, and, um, you know, and, you know, looked very relaxed in Austin, I have to say on Sunday night. I mean, he was, did not look like he was stressed for anything in the world, just mm. hanging out over the blind pig. Mm-hmm. Nice. Hanging. He always looks pretty mellow. Yeah. Very, very collected yeah. guy. I mean, what do they have to worry about? All the money in the world, <laughs> you know, yachts. Well, I think I racing is some, one of these things that I think is very interesting. It, there's definitely a need that it serves deeper and more meaningfully than anything else that these guys can oh, do. Oh, for sure. So, you know, yeah. it is, it is. It's the competitive drive. I think all these top athletes yeah. that, that's, they want to win. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's got to be refreshing when you can't because of your car or whatever. In fact, Cam Grace asked, what happened to Williams to cause them to lose so much pace in such a short time? And what will it take for them to recover? That's a quick, quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, and that's a lot of <laughs> a lot of former glory. Um, well, I guess I you could take it. Yeah, take it in two two phases. So what what caused them to drop so quickly? Was there a rule change that really affected them? I kind of look at Williams as you know they always define themselves as a racing team, and um, I almost wonder if that model is really tough to make work. How so? Well, I think, you know, the teams that are winning are backed by global brands. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're looking at, you know, uh, Mercedes, Red Bull, Renault, um, McLaren is a global brand, um, Ferrari, of course. And uh, and what Formula One gives those brands is something that, they could go other areas to get, but it they've worked a relationship within the platform and their place within that platform to to benefit them and maximize those benefits. And you know, I always think, what does Williams sell? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> sell you know, to singer. You know, <laughs> you know, a lot of technology development comes from there. You know, I think British Aerospace has got a unique relationship with them. But um, yeah, just that that. That sort of, where does that rubber meet the road for, for the, the you know the financial health of of the team? And mm. um, it, it just seems to me that that um, I I need that question. I need to do you know sure. more work on yeah. understanding that as well. But, but that's always been the case, right? And, and so, it has, and, yeah. and I mean, I guess they had Canon on board at some point. I mean, like there were some big sponsors on board that might have mm-hmm. helped, but in reality, they've always been just that, right? They've always been a focused team. That's that's all they've done, right? Yeah, and I think you know BMW wanted to buy them at one point, and they resisted that very heavily. Yeah, they had a crazy struggle with that. Right? Yep, yeah, and um, so that to me would have seemed like the natural exit at that time. To yeah, yeah, and and I think it's about it's also about a family, you know. It's you know Frank mm. is you know definitely someone who is born and bred racer and um, has uh, you know done everything in his power to, to build, you know, a team that bears his name and his daughter is carrying on that legacy. And I still don't know what happened to Patty Lowe, you know, like he mm-hmm. just left, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I have no idea you know, mm-hmm. what, what happened there, you know, and when you're getting Patrick head coming back in, in some degree to kind of, um, uh, right the ship, uh, you know, there's, I mean, Formula One has moved on a long way, you know, since he was involved in the sport, even in 10 years. So, you know, 15 years, right? So, I mean, he's, he's, it's time to, I don't know. I, 
I would need to, I would need to understand that and research that myself. Sure. Yeah, but that's my well, questions that's what, are in that general area. And that was my joke leading up yeah. to it. It was like, Oh, that's a quick answer. You know, <laughs> not complex yeah, at all. And there's, sort of and I'm sure they haven't thought yeah. about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Williams isn't concerned with that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Oh, well, I wonder why. Huh? I was in a similar yeah. situation, right? They're not, they're not a backed by anyone. Well, they're back. Well, by they're backed by Gene Oz. Yeah. 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 Right. But I mean, they're still a, uh, not a global brand per se. They are, right? yeah. This is, it's they? a major yeah, it's like, uh, tooling manufacturer. Oh, yeah. It's a U.S. Yeah. tooling manufacturer. But, That's what I'm but they sell globally. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, yeah. What I was going to say about Williams, though, is like, I feel like the power plant is good. Obviously, they have a Mercedes power plant. I think it's just everything else. <laughs> and it's like, well, I know, but, which is crazy because they but, were like, you think about like not Mansell years. I mean, they were like the tech, they were all about tech and this, like, yeah. And you know, right? Like, like leading that charge of, yeah. you know, making this car that drives itself. And it and sounds like, like just from listening to, um, Claire talk, it's like she, she knows what she's doing. I don't blame her at all. Like a lot of people just immediately want to point the finger, but it's yeah, like, I like Claire. I think it's a combination of what you're talking about is really lacking that major funding to do what they need to do and to do it right. It seems like. And then because of that, you know, you, that means you got to hire the right people that are very expensive. And like, so to develop the car so it is good, right? I've heard like, other people say, like, you know, because they are like a race shop, essentially, like a big race shop, essentially, and they take pride in like building their all their own stuff, and rather than out like outsourcing, like they almost don't outsource enough for how much they have to spend, mm, right? So they're they're trying to be this like little mom and pop shop that's like building everything and trying to and they can't basically keep up with. You know these big, big firms and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think the twenty twenty one regulations. I think, it's going to help a good. Yeah, I think Williams' success, future success, will be a good indicator. Yeah, how well those those new regulations. Yeah, and then the bummer with that is everyone's talking about how, yeah, twenty one twenty twenty one. That's awesome with the cap, but Mercedes, Ferrari, all these teams are just going to spend way more money in twenty twenty developing that car, basically. So they're going to have this huge head start where, you know, I mean, it's going to be the same until twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, essentially, because it's going to take time for that money to kind of evaporate. Yeah, and but I, I mean, I trust that you know, the right people are in place at Formula One. I mean, Ross Braun is, you know been around the block i mean he's definitely understands you know how a team thinks he himself you know engineering several championships and knowing where the um the sort of uh um the the loopholes need to be closed i i feel like he's he's done as good a job as anybody um yeah in that position can do and he's like he was renowned for finding the loopholes himself yeah, right exactly. so yeah. he's like you gotta have someone that's a good guy to have there right yeah, yeah. You, you hire the hacker to work for the fbi or whatever right. yeah. the poacher turned games keeper. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um let's see here uh richard one more okay um in that case these are great uh, questions, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe we'll do two more. Uh, what will it take for there to be a great American constructor? What is Haas F1 doing right or wrong? This is Richard Chen. So we kind of touched on that a little bit. But uh, American constructor, so not driver, but a great American constructor. Wow. Um, you know, I I saw uh, Kevin and Roman and Gunther on uh, – on Sunday night, and I think 
this season has been tough. I mean, they've really been chasing their tail. Um, Big step back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a real test of, uh, um, how, you know, a team principle relates to the drivers and how, um, you know, the driver's confidence, which is really everything in Formula One, you know, in a way you, you start from maybe zero every time you have a, a failure and, uh, um, just trying, you know, so many different directions and then, retrofitting old solutions to new problems or existing problems. It's just, it's not a healthy place to be. And I think it's a, been a very, very trying season for, for the mm-hmm. whole team. Uh, yeah. Were, were you surprised that they kept Grosjean on board? Is that uh, fair to say or ask? <laughs> not really. I think that, um, you know, I think when you're chasing so many different variables, you need mm. some con- you need some continuity okay. in, in what's what's happening. Um, That's their argument too, right? They're like, I, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that they have this consistent. And, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 do need that. Um, and you know, I've heard a lot of questions. You know, why doesn't why doesn't the American Formula One team have an American F1 driver and and, you know, on and on and on. And, and I think, um, you know, get, get an F1 driver who can, you know, race like one or two seasons in any team. And I think then you can have, you know, Haas start taking a look at them seriously for, for their own team. But, you know, they've been around longer than any F1 driver has been in the sport now. So, you know, who's got more to offer the other? Yeah. Um, Off the top of your head, do you know, is there any American drivers in like F2 or F3 right now or anything? That I need to yeah, I wonder. work on. Yeah. Huh. Um, I've been following um, a little bit of F4. Um, and I, I just, I tried to watch a little bit of it this weekend. The the driver development area, um, I'll be honest, I, I turn to someone like Will Buxton all the time just to like understand who he's keeping an eye on, uh-huh. um, whether it's American or international talent. Um, you know, at this point... I, I just want to hear the national anthem, you know. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Like, I know, I don't right? Care if it's you know a driver yeah. or a team, <laughs> um, and uh, and so the driver market um, for American talent, um, I follow guys all the time, you know, and I just I kind of wait and just try to understand, you know, where where they're going, what the next steps are, um, and and you know. You know, if there's something I can shed a light on that what they're doing, I'll like retweet them or I'll, I'll you know, I'll look for them in the paddock. Um, you know, there were, I feel like I'll, I've almost not paid attention to that on purpose to, to kind of focus on other stuff. But, um, you know, I remember seeing like Connor Daly in the paddock, you know, I thought, man, like these guys want to be here. I mean, I saw J.R. Hildebrand cruising around the paddock, you know, at the USGP and, it's clear there's there, you know, I'm looking for more of like, is there, is there real ambition to, to race in formula one or are the alternatives in America too attractive, i.e. like lower mileage travel schedule. Yeah. You can race in front of your friends, your family with more casual two or three hours yeah. of time zone. Um, and you know, and it's, and it's, you know, I, any car being the example, you know, it's a built in, audience with a huge spectacle, you know, every May with the 500 that has a lot of appeal, I think to a lot of American drivers. I mean, um, you know, I, I've 
I've pulled away from that so much. I started interviewing folks. You can see on my blog, Kim Stevens, who was a Ohio State um, engineering grad who single-mindedly wanted to, to work in Formula One. And her story was so interesting because she worked for, um, I believe she worked for the, well, first she built the Buckeye Bullet, which was the electric vehicle land speed record holder, uh, did that, then worked for um, HPD, and then, you know, consistently wanted to, you know, work in Formula One, contacted HPD down in L.A., gave her an opportunity or a networking opportunity at Sauber. And right before she moved to Switzerland, all her friends were like, why, why don't you just want to work in IndyCar? You know, why do you why do you want to move to Switzerland? Yeah. You know? And she's like, you just don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I. I'm like I, I would love to to meet that driver, you know, and I I haven't put yeah. I need to put my kind of feelers out in that direction. But surprised he doesn't exist. I mean, I, I know because it still is like do, F1 I, is still that. I mean, it's still that top tier, right? It's the like when someone's been in F1, that's a big deal, you know. And with the last driver, American driver was Speed, and before that was Andretti, I think. Yeah, um, I asked him about it, and. And Mario's absolutely, you know, it's a very, it's a point of national pride for him yeah. to, to win the title as an American. And it was absolutely, you know, a bonus to win at his native Grand Prix and his home Grand Prix. But he's definitely, um, you know, someone, you know, I think who really understands the, the kind of weight that that carries, like an Olympic medal. I mean, it's, it's yeah. big. Yeah. yeah, it's the pinnacle, right? Um, that's funny. I did you hear the most recent Andretti uh, Beyond the Grid? Yeah. Uh, so I was when I saw that come through, I almost didn't listen to it because I had listened to him on dinners. Uh, Dinner or, with racers. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was Dinner with racers, and like I was so happy that it was a completely different interview, mm-hmm. like yeah. totally different questions, and you got to see a whole other perspective. Like you know, obviously the genesis of everything's the same, you know, but like everything else, like he talked about totally. They did a really good job, uh, or sorry, um, what's his name on. Um, Beyond the Grid. I always forget his name. It's not Will Bunkston. Tom Clarkson Clarkson did a really good job. Uh, But the one thing I need to look into is uh, because Michael Andretti, you know, was racing and like he basically blamed McLaren in like the and the institution for his failures. And I thought that was really weird because I I, I, I do like I go on these like YouTube like uh, season binges and I'll just play like the 92 season, the 93 season. And he was crashing a lot, yeah. not doing a really and good job. And he was job. like seconds behind. So, I, so I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah. So I need to look into that again. I need to revisit it. Well, wasn't it? That. It was Hakkinen that took over for him, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and then Mika went, and he's like kills it right yeah. away. So and he was flying home between races, and yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. What, yeah he was talking about that. that. Yeah, you you have to get kind of stuck in with the team. Yeah. And I think well, you're all in it together. Yeah. And then Scott Speed's thing was like they were basically they called him lazy. And they said you didn't have the drive. Um, I think it. T- I think it takes a lot. Like Peter was like, "I'm trying to be objective about all this stuff." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that was his big thing. Like, that's what they were. That's what you know the bosses were saying and stuff. So, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about like Scott's history with with Red Bull. I mean, um, I was a fan of like. Just Scott, just knowing everything he overcame to just a just a race, you know, like his you know his medical condition yeah. early on in his career and and getting you know getting himself together to 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 show up, um, and so I don't know that someone who goes through that is necessarily lazy, but I think that there, you know, th- there's a lot in F1 that is 
I mean, I think everything in F1 is not, is not handed to you. And, um, you know, if you feel that, you know, something is deserved, it's generally earned and it's fought over hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and you know, that mentality, um, is, is kind of core, I think to, to that kind of level of competition and, um, whether it's a teammate, mm. whether it's an engine supply, you think your teammate got a better deal on, or whatever it is, um, or an engineer that you would rather have, um, that stuff happens, you know, all in the in the run up, and and I think it's a measure of dedication as well. I think you know you kind of get what you give in Formula One, and um, you know, ideally, and you you have to. Um, you just have to be as committed as everyone is around you. I mean, that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, cause there are very, 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 very limited seats. Right. And there are a lot of people with a lot of talent and, <laughs> uh, that are extremely hungry for it. Right. So if you slip a tiny bit or if you show a lack of interest in X, um, you can't get away with it. I, I mean, I, I remember reading like how, you know, back in the day, you have to be like a Senna or a Mansell where you would, after practice or testing, you would go golfing, right? And it's like, you know, like that's no longer like really acceptable. It seems it's like you have to be in the garage with the engineers and really like hyper focused on everything and contributing any way you can to really keep that seat. Right? Or since Schumacher, it's like just working out all the oh, time and physical, you know, fitness. Yeah, physical fitness. Now, I mean, yeah, because the cars are so capable, yeah. right? For sure. Doing your neck exercises and yeah, all that your, stuff. Your, uh, what's that? The peripheral vision. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, the slap machine that we did. Yeah, tough one. Um, okay, that is it for Thursday edition. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, in case people don't listen to the Sunday edition, which you definitely should, we're going to get more into Peter's background and uh, what got you to this uh, point in Formula One and all that. Um, and Peter, where can people follow you? That's exactly what I was going to ask. Thank you. Um, right now, I'm at F1 US on Twitter. And I'm actually uh, about to do a slight name change, so I'll break news here on that. Um, I'm trying to go for a little bit more platform agnostic approach, but still concentrating fully on on F1. So keep, stay tuned. Oh, you're not, you're not revealing the name. At F1 US, not yet. Got it. Okay. Got it. And then are you on Instagram or any of those uh, ones? No. Not, not fully on uh, at F1 okay. US, but uh, Twitter. And Twitter, yeah. And then the the other group that I'm sort of part of is the San Francisco Formula One community. If you're in the Bay Area, stop by for a race at SFF1. It's, and where is where is that? That meets down in the um, in the hate. Um, and we have been um, organizing for 15 years. So cool. Yeah, we've been going since. Is that where you went, Art? Yeah, oh. I've, I've been going for about. 13 years and I never met you, which is really funny because I used to go over to Zeke's. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then like a couple of years ago, I invited these guys. I think only Lane was able to come up yeah. and we went to, uh, what is that place? It used to be Tortilla Flats. It's like something else now. Um, the, the boxing room or the, Something, something on Divisadero, whatever. I can't remember. Oh, uh, the San Francisco Athletic Club. Yes, we went there. San Francisco Athletic yeah, Club. We've got, we've done that. Are you still doing that there? Uh, we we move around. So um, Formula One is kind of uh, a little bit of an orphan in terms of sports bars. So yeah. Sometimes we run into conflicts with other bars. So um, we just say you know follow us on Twitter um, and on Facebook, San Francisco Formula One group, and and meet up. We we have sort of three platforms. The group started before any of those sites were really around. So um, we've just kind of found, you know, different platforms just engage us with different parts of the community. Um, but yeah, we've, we're going to do race number 300 together as a group 
uh, for Hungary. Uh, nice. 20, yeah, of next season. That'll be our 300th race. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. It's a fun time, man. It's we'll try to make it. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. patreon.com forward slash driving wall awesome go check us out on patreon and become a patron of our podcast where you can get exclusive weekly podcasts from us that average around 25 to 45 minutes we have about 55 of them up on there and we do them every week uh we also give you discounts on rallies also first chance to get on the rallies which uh this last one or this upcoming rally sold out within nine hours and it's a it en- ended up being a patron only rally uh yeah and we give you uh sticker packs and some other stuff so go join us patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome thanks we really appreciate it